Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA's Corey Skolt, and we're speaking with Kim Falkenhayn, president of Okabashi Shoes. Corey, can you tell us about why you were interested in interviewing Kim and learning more about what she and her colleagues do at Okabashi? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, am a second-year student in the, the Bard MBA program, and what motivated me to to join the MBA program um, was my experience working in apparel and uh, trying to move uh, recycle, recycling and reuse forward in, in that industry. And so I'm always really interested in learning about how brands are engaging in the sort of circular economy models and, and figuring out how to effectively scale them. Um, and I'm looking forward to learning more about how Okabashi is making that happen. So, um, Kim, I want to ask you a bit about Okabashi's history as well as your own path. Um, first, could you tell me a bit about your professional background and what led you to working with a shoe company like Okabashi? Sure. So my background, uh, I went to school out at Arizona State University for supply chain management. I've always been interested in logistics and supply chain, so kind of the cradle-to-grave look at manufacturing all the way from your suppliers, suppliers of raw materials to where you have a finished product and you're getting it out the door, getting it to your end customers. Um, I moved across the country from Arizona to Georgia here and uh, was recruited to come on to this little shoe company that was new to me up here, a little bit north of Georgia. And I was hooked the minute I walked in the door for my first interview. I, I remember asking, have you guys ever been on How It's Made or anything like that? Because this is mm-hmm. so much fun to watch this whole process of manufacturing shoes and how amazing that this is right here in our backyard of Atlanta, just such a little hidden gem um, out here. So I started on with Okabashi in uh, procurement and sourcing. And I've been here almost 10 years now. I've moved up a couple of times. And recently, this past spring, was promoted to president of the company. So it's been a wonderful journey here. I love the company small enough that, you know, we have a lot of freedom to get into new areas and make changes pretty quickly. But then also that history that we've been around since 1984. So we've got a very loyal fan base and really solid manufacturing processes and everything out in our warehouse. And it's just a really great combination here. Wonderful. And um, and you mentioned you, the company was started in, in 1984. Um, can you fill us in a little bit on the history of the company and, and especially how local manufacturing and sustainability became important strategies for the brand? Sure, absolutely. So. The company many years ago was originally a joint venture. That's how we ended up with a uh, name Okabashi. The, 
the um, designs are based on reflexology principles. Uh, a lot of comfort is engineered into the footbed and the designs. It is, um, it's always been American owned though. We, we get that question a lot. Always oh, made all of our products here in the U.S., um, right here in Georgia. So we really had to become very lean and um, in, in our manufacturing because in, manufa in competing against manufacturers of footwear who are overseas who have a lot lower labor rates, we needed to be very competitive, make an excellent product that's going to be very long-lasting, and be very careful in our manufacturing process that we're not wasting anything. So recycling is not only something that is, you know, environmentally the right thing to do, but it's also a way for us to really keep our costs in control and operate very leanly. We do not throw any material away if it's scrapped. We reclaim it, we regrind it, and reuse it back in the process again. And the same with just operating a very clean manufacturing process that, again, is just we're not only doing it because it's the right thing to do, but because it's not wasteful. And that way, it keeps our costs down and it allows us to offer the best prices to our customers. Wonderful. So it, it sounds like both of those elements have really been core to the business from the beginning rather than elements that have been added on. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes, recently. absolutely. Yeah. We've always been very big about not throwing away any material, any scrap material. There's a very small percentage, well under 1%, that does have to be sold to a, a third-party uh, recycler for one reason mm -hmm. or another. But the vast, vast majority of any scrap, runners, anything like that, we have all the equipment here to sort it, grind it, and reuse it within our own processes. Wonderful. Um, and, and how has, uh, in recent years, how has your growth been as a company, and, and what do you attribute any recent growth to? So we are starting to work with a, um, some new suppliers, some new customers. Um, one of our newest customers this year was Target. We were just selling our new Shoreline-style flip-flop into limited Target stores. Very excited about that. Um, we are also expanding into a couple of new styles on the Okabee line to reach out to additional customers and try to get beyond. We're, we're really heavy in the resort industry. We've got a good presence in the spa industry. And we're trying to get more, develop more styles that are a little more fashion forward so we can get into more of the boutiques and other more fashion-oriented uh, shops and customer base. And um, can you tell me a bit more about the relationship between Okabashi and Okabi and, and whether the sustainability issues are any different in the brands in terms, of, in terms of your internal operations or the importance to the customer? So the sustainability-wise, they're very, very similar. We use very similar materials for both Okabi and Okabashi. The biggest difference is the customer base. So our Okabashi line is um, it's more mass-produced. We do higher volumes. Our biggest customers are CVS and Walgreens. The shoes are designed to be extremely comfortable. We have we have people who call us and tell us that they sleep in their Okabashis. That they, <laughs> yeah. they they tell us all kinds of foot problems that they solve. They're they're just really really well designed with that comfort footbed. Then Okabi we designed to be more of a boutique brand. So to take 
a very comfortable footbed, yes, but make it a little bit more fashion forward, more colors, uh, a little bit more trend-sensitive designs. We're changing the designs out more often there. And we sell into spa back bars. So a lot of the nicest spas around the world, when you go and you put on your robe and you slip into your shoes, those are actually Okabee shoes. That's mm-hmm. our, one of our biggest uh, places. And also then a lot of resorts, as you can imagine, for sandals and flip-flops were really popular in resort areas. We adorn the Okabees in a lot of cases with little decorations like starfish or sand dollars. They're perfect for the resort industry. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in those industries, the, the washability factor is probably key as well. Absolutely, especially in the spa industry because they do autoclave all of the products that are reused. So our product being very, very durable, it's heat resistant, it's of course completely waterproof, it floats just in case anybody <laughs> needs to try, check that out. I did I did lose a shoe in the lake before. I can attest to the fact that they float just fine. So those are all really important factors. And that's actually from a sustainability perspective, that's really important because your traditional basic foam flip-flop, people have become accustomed to thinking of this as a product that's kind of a one season and then you throw it away kind of product. And the EVA, like a stamped foam EVA, is not recyclable. So at the end of every season, that's going into a garbage can. Not only are our shoes recyclable, but they last far more than just a single season. We have people calling us and telling us they've had them for 5, 10, 15 years, which is fantastic that they last Mm -hmm. so long. So that's that many pairs of flip-flops that did not end up in a landfill somewhere. Absolutely. Um, And I imagine, especially in the the spa business, those are often being treated as disposable products of different types. Um, And so to be able to replace that with a long-term reusable product Absolutely, yes. They do like it. Their only complaint is that they get stolen sometimes (laughs) because people like them so much. (laughs) And so it sounds like uh, wholesale is a large part of your business. How has uh, e-commerce changed your direct-to-customer business um, in terms of sales and distribution? And does that change any of the opportunities or challenges in relation to the sustainability goals? So absolutely, yes. So e-commerce, platform has definitely changed the face of the company in the past 10 years. I love it because it really gives us that direct connection to our end consumer. Even though wholesale is still the bulk of where our volume goes for as a company in pairs, the con- direct-to-consumer business, there's just nothing like it for being able to talk directly to our customer and just really have a pulse on what what do our customers like, who are they, what are they loving? What are they not loving? And it does present its own unique challenges as the volume has ramped up on the e-commerce part of it. And the seasonality is a little bit different because on a large volume selling to chains, they're taking product to distribution centers an entire season earlier than most people are really going to go out and buy those things. You know, you think about shopping and you see bathing suits in February. Well, it's the same thing for flip-flops. Our biggest ship dates are between Christmas and New Year's Day. And that surprises a lot of people that (laughs) December is the biggest shipping week for us in the entire year, but it is just because of, you know, the way that the large chains work. So we've had to change things around to accommodate 
that volume that's really picking up in April, April, May, June, July. And really, it's fit in very well with our processes. It's just a, a little bit different scale of process. And of course, it's smaller packages going, and we've been working very hard to reduce the footprint of that packaging because, of course, a very large box stuffed with 20 or 30 pairs is more efficient space-wise than a smaller box with one or two pairs in. So we've, we have a lot of different box sizes to try to reduce the amount of excess volume. We work with, we're trying to work with bags and other things. How do we reduce this footprint? How do we get it smaller? How do we keep the, the freight costs down? What's the most efficient way to get to people? Um, and in terms of those uh, measuring your, your footprint in terms of shipping and distribution, um, the others or the recycled content, uh, all of these issues, are there, is there an overall framework for your metrics and the way you set goals and, and measure those impacts along with more sort of traditional business goals and metrics? Sure. So our shoes have always been completely recyclable. Um, they've always been 100% recyclable, so it wasn't, there wasn't anything we were necessarily uh, changing on the shoe itself. Um, one thing that we try to do is just reduce the amount of scrap that is produced that has to be recycled because, of course, it does take some extra energy to recycle it. Um, so making uh, new designs on our molds that have a smaller runner pattern, that's just the, it's a little line that connects the injection point of the, of the machine to the shoe itself. And that's always a little piece of plastic that comes out that has to either be thrown away if it's a non-recyclable material, or we can regrind it in our case and reuse it. But still, reducing the size of those runners is something that we've actively been working on designing um, into our mold. And then continuously improving our process as far as how clean it is, because if any material hits the floor, that's not something that we can reuse within our processes. That has to go to an outside recycler. So when I first came on board with the company 10 years ago, we used to sell off excess material that had touched the floor by the truckload. Not a lot of truckloads per year, but a couple. Now that's no more than a thousand pounds. It's very, very minimal because we've done a lot of work on reducing the amount of purge, operating a very, very clean manufacturing process. So virtually nothing gets contaminated and has to leave the building. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of shifting back to thinking about your local manufacturing strategies and, and manufacturing within the United States, it sounds like the, the efficiency improvements have been really key to making that cost-effective for you. Um, what do you think is needed for those practices to become more widespread in the industry and for, for Made in the USA to grow? There's a couple of things. It's, it is difficult to operate uh, manufacturing here in the U.S. because in a lot of cases, industries that used to be very prevalent here in the United States, but where is one of them, we've lost the infrastructure around us to make it easy to manufacture here. And by that, I mean the suppliers. There mm -hmm. used to be so many different suppliers who made shoe soles or shoelaces or glue or a lot of different components that you would use in the shoe industry. And as the manufacturers left this country, the supply base dried up too. So it's not 
just as simple as starting your own factory here and you can't reach back out to that same supply base that used to exist 50 or 100 years ago. In a lot of cases, you have to be more vertically integrated than any companies normally would have been during that time frame because the suppliers simply don't exist or there may be only one or two in the entire country. They could have uh, capacity constraints because, again, they, they don't have that many customers here in the U.S. So that's a huge challenge. And another big difference that you have to compete on, it's not just, of course, our labor rates. We have uh, much higher labor rates here, which is, a, which is a good thing for our employees. But we also have a lot of um, environmental standards we operate by. So that's something that's important to consider when you're looking at two different products. One of them says made in the USA. That's, a, that's meeting a bare minimum of what kind of environmental standards it was produced under, what kind of safety standards the employees were working in. There's a big difference between factories. And you just that stamp alone will tell you a lot about what kind of conditions employees were working in. So that that's also something you have to consider when you're looking at processes. And this is something that we have had struggles with when we wanted to move in a different direction, come out with a new product line. It required new processes that are being done widely around the world. But when we looked at importing those processes and bringing them in-house, for a new product line, we realize that the way it's being done overseas is not something that we can do safely here. We cannot, we can't have that under our door. So we had to come up with entirely new processes, engineer new ways to do things that are safe, that are clean, they're okay to operate here in the U.S. So that's a big, that's a big challenge. Yeah, and, and it sounds like uh, in, internally you've you've been really successful at sort of meeting those challenges and figuring out how, how to overcome them. So um, kudos, kudos to that. <laughs> um, and we're, we're hoping to see more companies um, you know, take on that, that challenge and, and grow in the same way. Um, we also, in hearing you talk about the, um, the suppliers, the supplier infrastructure that is sort of missing in, in the states to support local manufacturing um, in your industry, um, if you could say to entrepreneurs out there, um, what do you see as most needed in terms of um, if someone were going to start a business that uh, hoped to supply the local shoe and apparel industries? What would you most like to see develop? I guess I would say if if you are starting out and you want to launch a new brand, here, make manufacturing shoes, manufacturing apparel here in the United States, I would say you might be biting off more than you can chew if you try to initially have every component and every process made within the U.S. And I would say be open-minded to looking outside of our borders as you're getting started up, just because you're going to find that even if you can find the supply base here in the U.S., a lot of times their volumes are going to be a mismatch against where you are as, you, as you're a startup. But as you increase your volume, you can try to then start onshoring certain processes. You can bring certain processes in-house. But it can be overwhelming, the number of different things that you need to do in looking at everything from not just manufacturing your product to packaging it, warehousing it, distributing it. 
there's there are so many things that go into it and it we've been doing it for years and years and even for us bringing a new process in house can be a very daunting task to try mm-hmm. to find those suppliers and everything so it, be very very careful about what you're doing and sometimes there are just going to be processes and gluing is one of them that's very very difficult that are just poorly suited to being done in the United States because they are not they're not terribly pleasant processes to do they're not there's a lot of nasty chemicals involved and they're very very labor intensive so really looking at processes that are more a little bit more capital intensive can be done safely can be done cleanly those are things that are uh, a much better candidate for reshoring and doing here in the US and you're going to be more successful if if you target a product that can be made that way. So my last question for you is about uh business education right now. Um coming from a program that's really trying to change um the way that MBAs uh think about business operations. What would you say is the most important thing for the the future MBAs? to be thinking about uh, how business can operate in the future. I would I would really say that one of the the best things that you can do is to network and find mentors who are already out there in the field and have decades of experience under their belts because um there's a lot of people who would love to work with young graduates and be a little bit of a mentor and, you know, help help you get your feet wet getting out here and whether you want to be an entrepreneur, whether you want to go get a job with an established company, whatever that is, but just really leveraging the the people who are out there who would would love to would love to help out just because we were there. 10 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. years ago and and remember that it's you know, it's it's not easy getting out there, especially, and we can, you know, the the relationship goes both ways because the world is changing so quickly that where things were 10 years ago, five years ago, even two years ago, that the world has changed. So um, a lot of business practices need to, they need, they need to get caught up too. So the, I think things used to be a lot more static um, and you could say, well, we've been doing it the same way for 20 years. We should keep doing it that way because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's just not the way the world is anymore. You just have to be on top of these trends and changing things and everything. And that's that's where I think our our next generation of MBA grads are going to be able to make the biggest splash is just, you know, you really do have this opportunity to go out and and start things up in a new way that will be able to then surpass companies that could be real giants in the field because they might be stuck with the way they've been doing it forever and not not think about these really creative ways that you can go out and do things in a new way. Thank you. That's that's encouraging and very helpful. Um, That's that's the the end of my set of questions, and I don't know if Katie has more um, questions that she wants to add on. I have one question. Uh, So full disclosure, I'm a big fan of your shoes. and. I've been wearing them for maybe, I'm not a 10-year person, but maybe five years. And I'm wondering, they're really affordable. 
and you were talking about the labor costs and you know your shoes are priced at a point that for the flip-flops and also for you know the more high fashion style of the Oka B brand they're they're at a price point that most people can afford them and they last a long time so i'm wondering what went into the thought process of positioning yourselves at that price point because it's obviously been working for you so how can you keep them at such a low cost well we do everything we can to keep our shoes at the lowest cost we can to get to the consumer just because we all of us who work here we all wear them all the time if you come to our office in the summertime you'll see sandals on everyone's feet and we want people just like us to be able to afford our product because we love them we love seeing them on people's feet so we're all very motivated all the time to do whatever we can to keep the costs down we always have initiatives going on how we can reduce whether it's reducing labor costs or finding materials or components at a more aggressive price we're always trying to get our materials from domestic sources our our main material is all 100% made in the USA sometimes there's little components that we have to find elsewhere just um because as i was mentioning earlier the uh industries can be very difficult to find certain components made here in the US but we're constantly sourcing as new companies are popping up across the country and to look to find other companies we can collaborate with that are also made here in the USA just ship it a couple states away it's much more um it's a much more environmentally friendly to not ship halfway across the world and we love working with other domestic companies that we can get somebody on the phone and just talk to them so we do our we do our best because uh we know we are our own customers so <laughs> we want to make a product mm-hmm. that we could afford and we know our friends can too I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk through uh your history in the in the company today it's really interesting to to hear and and yes I wanted to ask if there's any other thoughts that you have that um that you'd like to share about your your process the company your your goals for the future um i mean i guess i'm i'm just really excited here being now in more of a leadership role at the company to see where we can go from here I love looking at our shoes and just knowing where every part and piece of it came from. I know our raw materials. I know that hang tag was made just down the road. I know we mold that hanger right here and the hanger was made out of recycled flower pot material we bought from somebody else in Atlanta. So to me when I look at a pair of shoes hanging on the shelf it's not just a pair of shoes, it's a story of all of the different people and companies that we work with and a large majority of them um being here in the US and an awful lot of them right here in Georgia and I love that I love seeing it and seeing this whole story of the supply chain of how this product came to be so that's it's just a very very fun thing about working in a manufacturing company here in the US and being involved in the whole supply chain part so um we're huge proponents of manufacturing in the US and really really hoping that we see the onshoring effort continue in the future um want to see more made in the USA products sitting on the shelves mm-hmm. absolutely well, thank you so much 
Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the program. Thank you, Kim. You can learn more and see the entire collection of Okabashi and Okabi shoes by visiting okabashi.com and oka-b.com. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays on December 1st, when we'll be speaking with Thomas Singer, Principal Researcher in Corporate Leadership at the Conference Board. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.